You're listening to Common Sense with Oxen Managing Director Jeremy Wilson and host Gab Davenport. Listen and learn your way through financial discussions as Jeremy dives into business success and how to achieve this through planning, forecasting, execution, managing cash flow, budgeting, and everything in between. We hear you already. Not another boring financial podcast. No, no. Common Sense is not like any of those because, well, Jeremy is not like any other accountant. Trust us. Take a listen and you'll see what we mean. Common Sense. They're not as common as you think. Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Kate. We're back again, back in the hot seat. Nice. <laughs> Today we're talking all things business health, um, which is obviously very important. Uh, my first question is, how important is mindset and what does it mean for a business? Yeah, really, really good question, Gab. And um, what I'm about to run through with you in terms of mindset, it doesn't just relate to businesses. It does actually relate to life in, in question. So... What I wanted to do is just ask a couple of questions of of the listener. Um, So, first question, who is responsible for your business plan and your structure? Answer, you are. But what happens if you're just so tapped out, already working long hours, feeling out of control because of cash flow problems, maybe poor team performance, or your competitors have just gone and dropped their prices? Who's responsible for this? Sorry, same answer as the first one. It's you. And doesn't it sometimes feel as though it's just getting a little bit too far out of control? You start focusing on what's right in front of you. You maybe lose sight of the future. What I want to share with you is how to get around that. And this I'm going to give you an example of in terms of a business. But more importantly, I think you can find that this also applies um, to, as I said before, general life. So what I want you to do is just visualize six letters and they're going vertically down a page. O-A-R, draw a line underneath the R right across the page. B E-D. This is called Orbed, and this, as I say, works really, really well for improving employee motivation, communication, engagement, and the results of your company. So what, what does Orbed actually stand for? What does it mean? Now, I have used this with my children on numerous occasions, and as I say, it works very well for teenagers. So O-A-R, we call these terms above the line. These are basically the terms used by, we'll say, a victor. We call BED below the line. These are terms that are quite often used by victims. So what is OAR? It's taking ownership. It's accountability. It's responsibility. Those are the three key traits for business owners to actually make sure that their plans actually happen. Below the line... You've probably guessed some of these already. The B-E-D, blame, excuse, deny. So let's think about that unfortunate event that some of us has been through as parents when a daughter or a son comes home late at night and the first thing they do is say, oh, actually it was, uh, it was Bob. Bob made me drink. So, so there's blame straight off. 
Um, oh, I didn't realise that when I was having vodka that it was actually alcohol. <laughs> There's my excuse. That one's probably not going to work too well. And slurring words really well and unable to stand up, they deny having alcohol in the first place. <laughs> you can probably see that these aren't going to work too well. But how could we be above the line? What would ownership, accountability and responsibility look like? Yep, I'm sorry, Dad, I did have a little bit too much to drink. I'm going to make sure in the future that that doesn't happen and I'm going to contact you if I've got any issues with it and you can come and pick me up and I'll make sure that I'm a responsible adult moving forward. So does that give you a bit of an idea about mindset and all bed and how we can actually apply this in our business? Yeah, yep, yeah, absolutely. Excellent. So, and then we um, next question I have is explaining the ceiling of complexity and what that term is and how to apply it to business. Have you ever felt in business that, you know, you, you've been going really well the first couple of weeks, months, years of business have been going gangbusters and then all of a sudden the growth seems to slow a little bit. You seem to hit the ceiling and for some reason, even though you're trying really hard, you keep bouncing against the ceiling. Performance is just leveled off. Instead of 50% growth year on year, you're getting 2% and yet you're doing exactly the same. What's going on? Complexity. Quite often in business, we overdo things. We try and make things more and more complex. As we do that, we make our business harder and harder to operate. So business becomes a real struggle. But what if we could do something to break through that ceiling complexity? So question, what's a word that's the opposite of complexity? And I'm going to use the word simplicity. So if we could simplify our systems, if we could simplify our marketing messages, if we could make things easier and more simple, would our business continue to grow at the same rate? The answer is, yes, it would. And you'll see it a lot today that people are just focusing on trying to make things more and more simple. doesn't mean that they're going backwards. They're just trying to make it easier and easier for people to execute their plans. Now, you've probably at some stage gone into the, the golden arches and you've probably ordered something. Now, you may not realise, but when the person on the other side of the counter is putting the burger into a bag, there's actually two pages in a manual which explains to them how they're actually supposed to do this. <laughs> now, they have taken simplicity to the nth level. They have systemised everything. And in the old days when McDonald's came to New Zealand, they were actually known as McDonald's Systems New Zealand Limited. They sold systems. Burgers was an output of the, of the systems. So what I think we can learn from Maccas is something really, really easy. Most of what they do is very simple. The height of the counters, the smile as people drive through the drive through really simple. Have we overcomplicated our lives? Have we overcomplicated our business? Are we spending hours and hours at night drafting out reports that no one looks at? Let's make things simple. Yeah, excellent. Love that. I'm all for simplicity. Absolutely. Um, and so how do we free up time and capacity? Um, often people are so time poor at the moment, particularly in this day and age. You know, we're so busy all the time. So how do we free up that time and capacity? And if you've got any examples of how to do so or, or someone that's done that very successfully in the past, that'd be great. Yeah, no worries, Gab. Now, I'm going to give you another quote, and it's not from someone I was aware of, so apologies for this. Um, this was a guy called Sir John Lubbock. 
Um, he was born in 1834, died in 1913, and he won a Nobel Prize for Literature. And he wrote the book The Pleasures of Life in 1887. Now, there's a quote from this person that I think would be quite appropriate. In truth, people can generally make time for what they choose to do. It is not really the time, but the will that is lacking. So have a think about that for a minute. Are you spending time on things that you want to do? Are you spending time on things you don't want to do? Are you ignoring things you don't want to do in the hope that they'll go away by spending more time on things that you do like to do? Mm. We all have to sometimes do things in our day that may not be as pleasurable as what we were working on before. We also all have within our day a time when we are most productive. Some people are morning people, some people are afternoon people. Grab that time. And the first thing you need to do in that time where you are most productive is something you don't want to do. And guess what? 10 minutes later, you've done it. And you'll be sitting there saying to yourself, that was easy. Let's do another. And all of a sudden, you will find time. There's another little thing that I've been using for quite a while, and that is called the four Ds. This has helped me um, increase the amount of free time I've got. Now, the four Ds, they work on basically every email, every letter that arrives in your inbox mailbox. You've got four choices, and they all begin with D. The first thing you would like to be able to do with whatever that message is, is delete it. It's spam. You just hit the delete button, it's gone. The second thing that would be quite nice to be able to do with that thing would be to delegate it. Instead of you feeling you have to do everything, you empower your team to do that for you. Thirdly, if you can't delete it, you can't delegate it, put a date on it, a date by which it needs to take place. Then all of a sudden, Put it in your in-tray, in-date order. You don't need to look at it at the moment. You can do it on the 15th of the month as you've dated it. Lastly, lastly, not first, but lastly, you do it. All right, that's the last thing we should focus on. Now, if you focus on the four Ds, if you can delete it, delegate it, date activate it before you actually have to do it, you will free up time. Yeah, excellent. And there's so many great programs and softwares that can help with that um, delegation of tasks and, and time management nowadays. So, yeah, excellent. So what is the Achiever Matrix, Jeremy? You know, this matrix basically comes out of uh, Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, where he gets people to focus their time on those quadrants a matrix is generally made up of quadrants, and in this case, four quadrants, that are going to generate the greatest results. So the quadrants he defines is um, the first quadrant is basically those things that are urgent. They're urgent and they're important. These things need to take place pretty much straight away. And if we don't do those, something bad may happen. All right, the second quadrant are those things that are important, but they're not urgent. Well, obviously, they take place after the first quadrant. The third quadrant, those are things that are urgent, but they're really not that important. So once again, they take place after what we'll call the quadrant of urgency. And the fourth quadrant, you've probably guessed this, not important and not urgent. Um, 
guess what? They go in the bin. <laughs> so we come back to that whole concept of the four Ds, urgent, important, not urgent, not important, and the same things can apply. It's exactly the same uh, process, but through a different matrix. Yeah, great. Makes, makes sense. Um, and now hats, moving on to hats. What are the 10 hats in every business? And can you give us an explanation of every? Cool. Now, there's a, a great management book called The E-Myth uh, Revisited by Michael Gerber. And there's a section in that book where I think it is two brothers set up a business. Uh, it's an American book and it's an American business. And the two brothers start off with what we call an organisational chart, another way of talking about the hats in every business. So they start off with a, a chairman of the board, they have shareholders, then they have a vice president of marketing, then they have a marketing assistant, then they have an operations person. They might have 20 or 30 boxes in their individual business. Each of those boxes is potentially another person or another hat. What they then did is they wrote a job description for each of those boxes. There were only two of them, so they each put their name against every single little box. And over time, they hired people to take those hats away from them. And that is the key element in business, to be able to delegate that role to someone else. Because you cannot wear all of the hats in a business every day. So, so what are the hats? Well, I've summarised them down to 10. Um, the first hat is a shareholder. Um, we then have directors. We have our leaders, we have our product development, operations, marketing, sales, which is different from marketing, finance, HR, and then admin and IT. Each of those have different roles and different focuses. So if we look at each of those uh, 10 hats, what's the key role of a shareholder? Their role is to finance the business. Uh, a director maximises the shareholder value. The leader implements the plan. Now, you might be all three of those, but you can see that you've got a very different focus as a shareholder than you have as a leader. Uh, product development, funnily enough, develops the products for sale. What's operations, do you think? Their role is to generate cash. Think about that for a moment. Marketing, their role is to generate leads. Sales, their role is to convert prospects into customers. Finance manages the cash that operations has generated. HR, they enroll and engage the team. And admin and IT, their role is to maximise efficiency. How many people have we got who have an admin role that manages cash, generates leads, works in operations, develops products, leads the business, it's it, da, 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 da. this is what we need to try and get away from, mm. all right? Different hats have different roles. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Um, and then can you explain and, and give examples perhaps on how the four key principles of an organisation chart work? Yeah, thanks, Gab. So let's just summarise the four key principles. Uh, the first principle, this is so, so important. There can only be one leader. Mm. Absolutely critical. If we have too many leaders, we have too much going on, we will basically end up with a business that doesn't know where it's going. 
Second key principle, responsibility and doing are not the same thing. So I might be responsible for implementing a new computer system. It does not mean I have to actually go and implement the new computer system. I might hire people, work with people, delegate some functions. So being responsible is not the same as doing. Third key principle, roles before people. So don't try and find a role for your people. Find people for your roles. Right? And if we go back to the EMA 3 visited, that's exactly what those two brothers did when they were setting up their business. And lastly, function determines responsibility. And so what we're basically saying is that each department needs to know its specific function so it can actually operate and be responsible. If finance doesn't know that its role is to manage the cash, it might start working in roles that it is no longer efficient for. Makes sense. Again, makes sense. Making a lot of sense today, Jeremy. But I think, yeah, those four key principles is something that everyone in the organisation should be aware of as well. Because totally. it's really important for everyone to know where they stand and um, understand all of that. So my last question for you is what are functions and roles um, and all of those those words, and what and what are the benefits of having those roles or functions defined clearly within the business? Okay, so let's let's have a look. For instance, I think the easiest way to explain this would be to look at um, one of the roles that we've got here. We've got uh, a marketing manager, for instance. The role is marketing manager. Can people remember what we said? Marketing's function was? To generate leads. Exactly, (laughs) to generate leads. So if the function of the marketing department is to generate leads, what would the key responsibilities of the marketing manager be? So it might well be um, developing a web page. It might include things like defining our target market, working on our marketing plan, Uh, It might involve setting up seminars. So we've moved away from basically function into what the role is and into what the individual tasks are. Yeah, the specifics. The specifics. Uh, And it it sort of tends to be summarised quite well by uh, a saying that we need to get our structure and our strategy in the right order. And unless our structure follows our strategy we're going to get inefficient. Yeah. Right? If we can't actually have the appropriate structure to deliver the strategy, we're going to struggle. Yeah, absolutely. And the benefit of having those roles, functions, um, tasks defined is that then each individual employee clearly knows their expectations, their outputs, and I, I guess their measurables as well. Yeah, it's going back to the theme that we've got within these podcasts, which is it's all about communication and it's a team approach. Yeah. Uh, We need to get things done through people. People get things done by operating good systems. Yeah. Amazing. Anything else to add on that that last thought? I think probably just to maybe summarise some of the benefits um, just as you have. We we get clarity. Um, We're definitely implementing best practice. Um, No departments get ignored or neglected. Everyone's involved. The business is more sustainable. And something I'd like people to think about can be scaled more easily less risk of burnout for the poor owners, Mm. uh, increased efficiency, a much better pathway for progression through the organisation, and problems don't all come to the leader. 
And how many people have that at this stage where all the problems end up on their desk? Yeah, exactly. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Jeremy. We will speak to you again soon. Thanks, Gab. Thanks for tuning in to Common Sense and be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. And if you're looking for accounting or coaching services for your business, be sure to reach out via www.oxen.nz. Thanks for tuning in and subscribe.